And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I want to uh, invite you to subscribe to Grantland's YouTube channel. All the great Grantland podcast uh, content is going to be on there, and it lets you pick uh, your listening experience in a different way than any other form. There's going to start to be video content on there. Not of me, I don't think, but of everybody else. So subscribe to Grantland's YouTube channel, and uh, I think you'll dig it. Gary Goleman, who will be showing up maybe 12 minutes late if I know my customer, is one of the strongest stand-up comedians in the country. You may know him from Last Comic Standing, on which he came in third, or Torgasm with Dane Cook, on which he had to survive touring the country with Dane Cook. I first met Gary at Stand Up New York on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I had just finished doing a set at an open mic and Gary was sitting at the bar. We started talking and within minutes we were trying to figure out which one of us could name more WWE champions, me, and which one of us could more accurately quote Broadway Danny Rose, him, sadly. Here's the thing about Gary. He's a stand-up purist. Most comedians now are always trying to get a sitcom or a movie. Maybe Gary will do one of those things if they come along. But it's not what inspires him. He is a fanatic about jokes. Timing, words, rhythm. I want to ask him why and how it started. Because at one time he was a football player, a Division I football player. And I guess I want to know if he was cracking wise in the locker room, how the linemen took it, and how he knew that the battlefield he really wanted to be on was the stage. If you ask other comics, they'll say that right now, Gary's batting average of jokes to laugh is about as high as they come. We spent a lot of time together, Goldman and I, and I can tell you he's one of the best guys I know, loyal, kind, a good listener. But I can also tell you that despite the calm outer demeanor, he's fueled by a certain anger. I've never been able to figure out why that is. Let's find out together when he gets here. Which, uh, Will it be soon or in like 15 minutes? Hey, Gal. Hi, Bri. I, uh, I had told uh, the listening audience that I anticipated you to be 12 minutes late. <laughs> that's, that's what I, I figured. But I think you might have come in under 12. I think it might be under, under 12. Oh, I came in on time. Yeah, within, yeah. Or, uh, certainly in sort of like the window of what is uh, your version of on time. Yeah, well, the the thing is, is that I, I, I don't want to lose you as a friend because of because of my lack of punctuality. Like I, it really stresses me out when I'm running late for you because I'm thinking like uh, he's not going to put up with this kind of thing. This guy is really on a tight schedule, and he. And, and, <laughs> um, well, no, I'm I am punctual. I, I yeah. think any uh, I, I I can't tell you how much uh, w you know whatever I've accomplished in, in anything I ascribe. Uh, being punctual, a, a tremendous amount of it to, to being punctual. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, that is uh, the Tom Coughlin school, whereas I'm out of the uh, Gary Goldman school. A and yet I don't like Tom Coughlin, coach of the New York <laughs> oh, Giants. really? I don't know him, but I think, yeah, you don't think I'm as much of a hard ass as Coughlin, no, do you? No, but, but he always said if you were 15 minutes early, you were on time. Yeah, an actor said to me the other day, uh, he said, I'm, I'm a theater person, which means... He said, yeah, he goes, which means if you're on time, you're 15 minutes late. Yeah. That's what he, the theater actor said. Yeah. 
It's, like, a, it's a good attitude, but what you have to understand is that lateness is either a sign of arrogance or depression. But isn't it great also that the, isn't it great also that theater theater actors have to even make being on time dramatic for themselves? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's like even, true. Even I'm only on time is yeah. Uh, that, had it had it been an athlete, I would I wouldn't have thought that. But a, a theater actor, I'm thinking, God, shut up. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. They, they live on. Yeah. They have to yeah. live at 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 yeah. ten. You yes. know, at, at all times. Yes. Turned all the way up. So. You know, I said uh, in my intro, which you you didn't hear, that you and I spend a lot of time together. I didn't say the truth, which is we're great friends. And I haven't had – I've had friends come in here, but but you and I – you know, you come over to my house uh, and hang out and watch football with the kids and Amy and me at least three-quarters of the Sundays. Yes. Uh, So we have these conversations. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Sometimes on the corners of, of streets, in between shows, sometimes at coffee shops. You know, I would have said we were best friends, except that the other day I was standing on Lexington and 72nd, and you were on the other corner of Lexington and 72nd. <laughs> and I, I said, gull, and you turned around and didn't recognize me. It, well, sometimes you, you wear things like a homeless person would like a full beard and then other times you don't have a beard and then you wear a lot of things that would make me think that you were a 28 year old um stoner right and i guess i had a i had a during a jogging suit i I had like a a cap like a uh what the canadians would call a toque on my head yeah yeah you're not always recognizable right away uh but i think that's what that's probably made me step back from saying we're best friends because well you you throw around best friends a little bit too easily i i have one best friend right me yeah, yeah. my best friend dave yeah, yeah dave and i have and you have i have her who's my dave right yeah. well no and it's clear because if we were actually best friends yeah you would have recognized me right <laughs> yes so i mean that's just what made it i mean that's what made it crystal clear yes but i might have that brad pitt disease where he doesn't recognize faces you think you have face aphasia face aphasia yes no which should which he should get credit for being that disease like I- lou gehrig I'm going to say no, because I think if Stephanie Seymour walked in, you'd recognize her. I don't even know who that is. See, that can't be true. I'm serious. Okay, let me try again. Uh, if Can I tell you who I do know in the Seymour range? Jane. Jane Seymour. Her you'd recognize. Yes. Of uh, what was the last show that she was on? I want to say Knott's Landing. But, I want to say that's like a catch-all that for medicine, any 80s. Medicine Woman was in the title oh, yes, of the show. Yes. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman was the original JAG, a series that was on for nine years that nobody ever saw. Wait, was that right? Was Medicine Woman really? Yes, yes. She was Dr. Quinn. Someone went to the networks Does and said... Does anybody even know what that is about? Someone went to the networks and said, Medicine Woman, that's the idea. And they went, yeah. And then nine years later, everybody has mansions. Yeah. And then somebody said, you sure we can't call her a doctor yet? No, she's a woman. <laughs> okay. Now, now, let's start the show. Okay. So, uh, as you know... Gull. Um, I was trying to think of my moment on the way over. Well, so as you know, you know, the, the show, the, you know, the, I'm really interested in m- moments that are inflection points in people's lives where everything's on the table, where, you know, things can really go one way or another. And sometimes they're really, they're moments that uh, at the time seem great. And, and then it's about how does somebody, you know, when Seth Myers was in here, it was this idea that he was on the cover of of time and how does he <laughs> process that and then sometimes there are moments that aren't as uh, great you know like with mario we talked about when he had an aneurysm and i was thinking you've had a lot of incredibly great moments wouldn't you say 
I, no, I wouldn't say. See, I well, that's because you're. Well, I would say you've had great moments, television, uh, great things, but. But I yeah, but if you compare them to Time magazines and aneurysms, they pale. But well, why would you say that? Well, I don't have anything tragic like an aneurysm, and Time magazine is for like fifty-two people a year, if that, because Jesus always gets an Easter cover. <laughs> right? <laughs> Doesn't that so, seem unfair? Yeah. And there's probably what do you have to do around Easter to get the cover of Time magazine from Jesus? And then there's always one cover with either a sperm or an ovary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> person of the year so then now this we're down it's going to be huge yes and now we're suddenly yes. we're down to uh probably like 48 possible <laughs> yes 48 covers and then they probably don't publish every week yeah. in the summer and but it, yeah well that okay if you want to look at it on that on that scale but in each of our lives we still have moments that are sort of serve as fulcrums yes absolutely and i i thought about um picking a moment that at the time was empowering but I actually want to pick a moment that I think became incredibly empowering for you. Okay. And uh, be because, you know, I watch you perform uh, a lot. And, and I have to say, you handle hecklers. <laughs> As suddenly Gary realizes where I'm going. But you handle hecklers with uh, a kind of a calm aplomb. I've never seen anybody really sort of stay completely above the fray as... You handle whatever they bring, uh, you know, make the crowd crack up. Uh, it, it almost seems like you, you relish it now and that it's really uh, fun. And if it's not actually fun, what, the, what someone watching you thinks is, God, this guy is, can't be rattled by this at all. I mean, do you agree that's what's going on now? Yes, I do agree with that. <clears throat> and, and I think that it, that happens to dovetail with the fact that over the last couple of years, and I'll, we'll talk about this more, you know, your just stand-up game has become so tight. I would agree with that. And and so uh, I wish everyone could, could see you now as you know it's coming. But but a few years ago, yes, you had a moment that's become famous. Yeah, the, the summer of 2007. No, six, 2006. So that's eight years ago. Comedians talk about this still. Really? Because I, I didn't hear about it from you. Oh, originally, really? right. I heard about it from another oh, gosh. comedian, which is yeah. uh, some of the audience got you so a angry that yeah. that you s you spit at them, didn't you? Yeah, I spit at them. Yes, <laughs> from yes. from, from stage. stage. Yes, yes. And you're six six, and yes, uh, a big man on stage in a little comedy club. Yes. What happened that night? Well, I was doing my best joke. My was my born to run, which, yeah. was, which was this, you know, like 14-minute joke about grapefruits. Oh, the grapefruit. Yeah, a yeah. classic. Which you is... see it on YouTube, by the way. Uh, you know, a, a joke that made you, I mean, a, a bit that made you famous, kind of, right? <laughs> well, a lot of people will say, yeah, he's the grapefruit guy. Yes, absolutely. And so the reason I was doing that was because I had a whole notebook full of new stuff, and I had just moved to New York, and I wanted to make sure that the stuff I was going to try out was either bombing because it sucked or bombing because it was a bad crowd. So I said, I'm going to do my best joke early and then everything. To figure out what was happening. Yeah. Because were you having happening. a crisis of confidence at that moment? Oh my God, yes. Why? Uh, I, th I think I was going through a serious depression. Right. Yeah. I think it was chemical. You were in a depression. Yeah. And you felt like your stand-up was suffering in a way. Oh yeah. 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 
it's it's that delusion of of depression where everything is is negative. I, I suck at comedy. I'm a horrible person. I'm ugly. It's just the the only the I mean it would be the only thing I would do all day is go to the comedy club. It was the only thing I could really leave the apartment to do. The other times I was either either sleeping or in like a just a, a really dull state. Yeah. And so so I thought I'll build up my confidence by doing my guaranteed joke. And and it was in a club that, that no longer exists because I I think it was possessed because it, it was it was nicknamed the Cafe Depresso. <laughs> the Cafe Depresso. Yeah, where it was called the Boston Comedy Club. Oh sure, I had, yeah, uh, I had done I had done yeah. many uh, a stand up set. It was uh, nicknamed there. the Cafe Depresso by its owner, Barry Katz. Oh, was this still when Barry owned it? I don't think so. Or he might have been franchising it or whatever he was doing. He was trying to distance himself from it because. I don't even think it was even called the Boston Comedy Club at the time. I think it was called the Village Comedy Club or something like that. So you went to the Village yeah. Comedy Club and, and you'd been in a depression, lying yeah, around yeah, yeah. all day. Basically, yeah. you'd had one thing circled, which yeah. was perform set tonight, yeah. find out if I suck or not, <laughs> by, yeah. by if I've wasted my life. Yes. Uh, in, in those days, it was, you know, you're only good as, your, as good as your last game for me. I, I couldn't build up any goodwill with myself. Or, or yeah, I couldn't bank that. You'd already been on television. Oh yeah, you'd already done Last Comic. Yeah, I mean you were I was working on, across the country. I was on a TV series on HBO called Torgasm. Right. You were on at Torgasm the time. at yes. the moment that you thought yes. you were uh, maybe worthless. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't put that all together until right now. <laughs> that that was all going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and that actually, how sort of like. Um, I mean, that's crazy when you think about it. That's almost the definition of depression. You have a really lot of great things going on, and and you think you're a piece of shit. Yeah, and, and you decide to give the power to these... I mean, you're saying to yourself, I'm giving the power to the worst audience in the world. Because you're going to go test out your stuff, and you maybe it's not the material. Maybe I just am... Think, so you're going to do the grapefruit hunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what happens? Um, about seven minutes into it... This guy said, uh, this drunk guy said, uh, ugh, tell a joke. And, uh, the last thing I remember, no. Um, and I just, I just attacked him for a while, like really buried him in, in words. Just, I mean, went to the, went to the, the core of his being to insult him. Like, I, I thought, what was the worst thing I could say to this person that would hurt them the way they just hurt me? And nothing got through to him. He was smiling the entire time. He was impervious. And the audience wasn't on my side. Right. I was saying, what did you... So yeah. you went after him in a way where you disregarded the audience. You actually oh, let this absolutely. guy take you out of the show. It, it was tunnel vision. Complete tunnel vision on this one guy. And what happened? So you, you're you're trying to get him in. And, and for you, the only victory at this point now is going to be breaking him. Yes. You're Drago. Yes. I must break you. And nothing could get through to him. I still, I mean, I couldn't pick it up out of a lineup, but I remember his expression to this day. It was like a satisfied, <laughs> yes. uh, he'd won. <laughs> oh my gosh. He was, he was crushing me. And, uh, and so then how did you make the decision? I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do now. I don't see. I think what I was, um, I don't, I, to, to, to tell you why I, 
why I did it would be exposing myself to be a, a horrific person. Oh, no, I, I, I don't think so. Because uh, uh, I don't need to know. You mean you know why you did it? Yeah, I know why that's what it what it came to. Was it that or beat him up? Yeah. That's, that, no, I think you made a good choice. You yeah. didn't, you, so you decided not to inflict physical harm. Right. You just decided to humi- to try to humiliate, humiliate him. Humiliate him, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I cringe every time I and, think about well, it to this day. Well, did they all just turn? Oh, my God. Yeah. And then a woman in the front row spit on me. That's what somebody... <laughs> that's what nobody knows. No. Yes. You got spit on? I got spit on. She spit on me. Nobody, nobody was with me. I guess maybe the comedians were. They all told me it was the greatest thing they ever saw. Well, yeah, but comedians lie to each other. Yeah, they? of course. Yeah. Yeah. And so you came off stage. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I walked. This is at, I don't know, West Third and... Yeah. I don't know. West Third. Sullivan. Bet- uh, right before McDougal. Yeah, yeah, between yeah. like Thompson, yeah, Thompson and, and McDougal. Like McDougal. I walked from there to... I was living at 68th and... And West End at the time, at the Lincoln Towers. Is that 68th? Or I made that walk there? the other day. That exact walk. <laughs> so, uh, last week. Oh, really? It's a long walk. It's a it's long... T- so what I was so proud of myself for making the walk, I Google mapped it. It's a, I went, you know, 10 blocks further than you, but it's, uh, it's four and a half, four, four and a half. You just corrected me down to eight, but, uh, but it's a four and a half mile walk. Oh, really? Yeah. So you walked in a, at late at night. Have you ever done it in a uh, self-loathing rage? No. <laughs> I, I did it convincing I myself did this it was one exercise. Time. <laughs> I did it this one time. <laughs> so the the funny thing is this: that the one guy had given me. He worked in the porn industry, and he was a comedian for a little while. And he gave me a a, a bag of of porn to bring home before the show. Oh, and on. on the way home, I was like, I don't want to get caught with this. This is great because I was afraid I was going to be arrested for spitting. And you were going to file charges. <laughs> yes. And so you grabbed that you dumped the porn. I dumped the porn. Now this was before I didn't know what you, kind of porn this it before was. you porn showed up. So were you then? I mean, did it cost you something to dump the porn? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no, there was no. Uh, the the free porn was thirty seconds at most at, in those days. So this was a big deal. This was actually <laughs> yes. this yeah. This was a potentially a treasure trove yeah. of porn. Yeah. And you treasure trove, and I tossed it right in a. But I, yeah, I don't. So you're walking home, right? And you're. Yeah. You're, are you processing it, or are you just like, I suck, I suck, I suck? I'm crazy. That's what I was thinking. What the hell is uh, wrong with you? You're crazy. Yeah. What is wrong with you? And, you know, when I got home, I broke down in tears and everything. It was, it was yeah. But the great, the, the, the great thing, and that's why I think moments are so interesting, because I, what I find, like, so inspiring is that there are people who that would be it for them. They would say, I can't, I can't really do this anymore. Really? Yeah. You don't think so? <laughs> I didn't realize it was that awful. Well, think about what you just said. You, first of all, you threw away the porn. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, but think about the fact that you, uh, you felt like a worthless, I mean, you felt like you displayed the worst I don't oh, know, yeah. of yourself, didn't you? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of animal? And and then what's inspiring to me is you, it seems to me, because I met you a year after that or six months after that, yeah. I think. Yeah. And um, you had already communicate, were able to communicate that you'd made a decision about what was important to you 
as a professional after that night? Perhaps. I think most people would have said after I after I'd done that, gee whiz, you need help. And the thing was, I was already going to therapy twice a week. <laughs> and I was on... I was on medication. It turns out not the perfect medication, not the right medication. Um, but I, I think really what needed to happen was to get out of that depression, because to to think that I was a horrible comedian or the, just the worst comedian, which being a good comedian is like the most important thing to me, and being the worst one is what I thought, and and this was just another example of it for me. I mean that's what it came down to. I was, I was throwing a tantrum at my career, I guess. Not my, not even my career. I never really, that wasn't my, that wasn't my thing. I, I loved jokes, being a good comedian, more than that. And so, did it make? I mean, so do you not feel? Because the way you sort of mentioned it to me before, is that you kind of drew a line uh, after that night about what you wanted to be on stage. In never letting that, yeah, getting out of your own, never allowing them like anyone to win right. and to get really, really great. Yeah, is that not how you now remember it? It's okay if it's not. I don't. I don't think. I think. I think within a year of that, I had a conversation with with Todd Glass, and. I spent so much time telling him what a horrible comedian I was. And 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 one other person, and they said, listen, you can be depressed, you can be miserable, you can hate yourself, but I can't really let you uh, call yourself a, a terrible comedian. I mean, that's not on the, that's not on the table. And I was like, really? You're, you're sure about this? You're certain about this? And then, you know, they would just name people that I respected. This person thinks you're funny. That person thinks you're funny. This person thinks you're funny. And I'm like, come on. And then, um, it was, it was Todd Glass and Elon Gold. And Todd is like my, my hero in, in comedy. I admire him so much yeah. in, in so many different ways on and off stage. And for him to say that it was almost enough, it was like, oh, this guy who I think is just the greatest thing really thinks I'm a great comedian, and uh, I'm going to to adopt his his view of me rather than rather than my own because at this point mine is distorted by by my depression. Yeah, and you were able to recognize that finally, yeah. And I don't think I don't think from that moment, honestly. And I tell him every time I see him, I don't think I I looked back from that that point on, and that yeah. You think the so the conversation with Todd is what let you put all that stuff in the rearview mirror? Yeah, and you think you made a decision to just look at yourself as somebody who can do this? Yeah. And then, how did you go about healing yourself? I mean, I I sought out the the best uh, psychiatrist I could afford. Good plan. And at, and at that time, I could afford a good psychiatrist. <laughs> there, there would be a time later on where I couldn't have afforded him. <laughs> and uh, But luckily, I had afforded him when I could afford him, and so I was able to get through the tough time when I couldn't afford. Right. Yeah. And you were able to get yourself 
yeah. uh, back to a point where I was before I couldn't afford yeah, to do it. Yeah. And so you think that that, getting the de depression under control... Absolutely. Yeah. Because... Is that what you think unleashed... Be because it, the last four or five years, you talk to any comedian in New York or L.A., in New York mostly who see you because you're here all the time, and they all say, you know, you're among the very, very best who do what you do. And uh, first of all, can you? Own, I mean, you're, you're capable of owning that now. You know that you can get up there and go I can, crush it. Yeah, I can own that, but I have to discount it in in this way. And I and I think you'll see what I'm saying or hear what I'm saying. Um, I've always always admired people who are really great at something that there's not a lot of remuneration for. Yes. Well, I was gonna, yeah. I, I I just to do something for the sheer love of it. And because it's because you want to be perfect or beautiful at it, is uh, I, I really I really admire that. Usually, the only thing you get out of it is a, is a documentary about hey, here's this weird guy, and and luckily there are more and more of those. But you mean like a guy who who writes his name on a, a grain of rice? <laughs> he's, right? he's probably not he's not doing that thinking that uh, his company is going to be uh, taken over by Facebook and bought and uh, taken public. Yeah. The, the, he just loves, he loves the art. And so for you, the, it's it's crafting and telling, yeah. Like in search of the perfect word. Well, perfect. I was gonna say the perfect joke, but yeah. you're breaking it down even more. Yeah, because I forget who said it. I want to say Mark Twain. It could be somebody else. But the difference between a, a good word and the perfect word or the right word is like the difference between something and something else that are not close together. That's I mean, very I'm, well I'm just said. Deconstructing. That's really. <laughs> I can see the primacy you put on I words really, because you. I really need to. That I really need to memorize that quote. Me too. I I uh, know the quote, but also about as well as you. Yeah. Do. But don't you think it's such an important word and uh, an important quote in in well, writing? Well, I yeah, yeah. Finding yes, finding the right word. We love is, words. Yeah, we do yeah. love words, and you. But but it seems like you're in search of yeah the perfect way to communicate this insight that you've made in a way that will resonate yeah and what well, were you well I I was just I mean the thing is is that I've I've cobbled together a, a philosophy and a and a and a um like a, my own my own how to book based on just an obsession with listening to every interview and reading every every book where where good comedians are talking and and like Jerry Seinfeld said a, a good joke is never done which is ridiculous but but close why is it ridiculous because you should put it on a special and then forget about it and maybe take a request every once in a while i mean that's my philosophy 20 years ago, when I first started comedy, I would have said, well, yeah, a good joke is never done and I'm never going to put it on a special because Jerry wouldn't. But now I've, I've been able to say, well, that that's different. It's different now. And even he did. He did retire a bunch yeah. of jokes. Yeah. Yeah. What, so Louis, did Louis' idea inspire you that throw it all away? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that interview show he did with Seinfeld and Chris Rock and Ricky Gervais to a lesser extent, I thought was really, really important. You really want to go out there in the world and say Ricky Gervais to a lesser extent to the guy who's like got the most powerful barbing 
What what is he going to do? Make me less famous? <laughs> well, no, no, but I mean, you know, it just seems if you're going to, it seems you just, I mean, just to throw it out there, to just for no reason say it to a lesser extent, you could have just listed the guys on the show. But but wait, can, you I, just can I really them? say that I learned about stand-up comedy from Ricky Gervais? I, I'm, I'm not talking about the sort of like accuracy, the, the need to be exactly accurate. I'm saying, and he's not going to listen to this, no. so it's fine. No. And if it gets back to him... But it is like saying, in I, a I way, it's like saying, I enjoyed watching that conversation with, you know, legitimate tough guys, Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, <laughs> and Mike Tyson to a lesser extent, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of Mike Tyson. I'm not afraid of so, Ricky Gervais. Okay, well, good. But I'm glad you're not afraid of him, nor am I. But I do want it to be clear that I didn't say to a lesser extent. <sighs> because I think he's hilarious. But you learn. I love The Office. The British office, I love everything that guy has done. But to, to a slightly him, lesser extent than, talk about than the stand other up, guys. Talk about stand-up comedy. It didn't seem like he should be the fourth. Who should, Okay, who should have been the fourth? Like Cosby or... Who else could be there? Well, even, Carl, even Carl Dennis alive when they did that or I don't, not? I don't think so, but like Dennis Miller, I would... I would love to to have heard from that guy's an expert. I don't know. I'm probably going to beg you to take this out of the <laughs> out of the podcast. No, this is the meat. This yeah. is the the heart. Ugh, but here's what here's what bothers me. It's not even the it's not even the people who are going to say it's not Ricky Gervais coming at me. It's the people who are going to say who the fuck do you think you are that you can say to a lesser extent he's a better stand-up comedian than you'll ever be and and so that's why I would want it want it out there because i couldn't handle that well no i mean people aren't gonna say to you i think it's clear where you're coming from because you are i, I said this before but you're a purist and i was gonna go back to well first of all w sorry when you were watching i don't i want to pick i'm an stay orthodox with comedian <laughs> say that again i'm an orthodox comedian and had to find that and the reformed i looked down <laughs> you looked down on the reformed comedians <laughs> And, uh, yeah, what about the just non-kosher? Yeah. <laughs> is that the, non the, the reconstructionist? <laughs> what is, and obviously the, the reconstructionist. Non the non unless you're kosher, oh. I don't, I can't even, I can't sit with you. The reconstructionists are all at Largo. <laughs> no, no, I admire the, the Largo comedians, most of them. But I, I don't, um, I don't, see, I because th I think they're the orthodox too. Me, I do too, but yeah. I was just trying to understand your yeah. point of view. And I think they're orthodox as well. I think you can find a lot of the reformed comedians working at the various improvs in the country. There you go. Now, yeah. can you define? So, sorry, can you define what you mean by that? Another, when you talk about, uh, you know, taking it out of the, the sort of <laughs> the uh, the uh, rankings of uh, 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 Judaic uh, fealty <laughs> yeah. to the Torah, yeah. but, but how would you really define it? What you're talking about? What you uh, look for when you talk about a great comedian well w one of the things like like every couple of weeks i'll get a, a text from david tell and he'll say uh call me joke check because <laughs> this one of the greatest comedians ever ever absolutely is concerned that i might have a joke about what he's talking about that's what you mean about joke check by joke check. Yeah. You don't mean that he's writing you to say, um, hey, tell me if this tag is good in my joke. No. 
he's saying, I want to make sure I'm not covering the same terrain you are. Yeah. And you feel that that's super respectful, the the opposite of being a hack. Yeah. And, and like, sometimes I'll come up with a line or an observation and I'll be like, this is too easy. And I'll Google it and see if somebody already said it or somebody said something similar. Like, I had this this great thing where I, where I had... Uh, um, FDR doing his his speech about the things we have to fear, and then you know it was like a four or five minute thing that just he kept listing all the things that we should be fearful besides fear itself, and and then at the end he's like you know what fear itself is probably too vague. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop that because you know we've got Hitler we've got the sneaky Japanese. <laughs> It was a different time. You could call the Japanese sneaky back then. And uh, a glut of, of uh, little girls named Phyllis. He felt that that was... That was a problem. 1933, he discontinued the name, and that's why there are no Phyllises under 76. Anyhow, uh, I, I looked up the the thing, and, and I found that, that um, uh, Robot Chicken had used Fear Itself and Spiders as a line in a, on a on a show and so you cut the joke yeah so i cut the joke and it, and it was like uh well okay so i, I, I patted myself on the back oh i i think like some smart writers but at the same time it's like i don't want people sitting in the audience being like that guy stole it from robot chicken well i, I think seth green would probably give you permission he's a very generous guy <laughs> i can he was in a movie of mine i could oh really we could yeah we could oh knock around guys i believe we could make that yeah. happen i really do i think we could <laughs> I do. I think we could we could ask that. But again, he wouldn't mind. But all the people who are fans of Robot Chicken, they they people, don't worry about them. Why are you worried about would, them? People would love to find out. I, I really believe this. People who a lot of people, not all people, would love to find out that the the greats plagiarized. Not that I'm saying I'm the great. A, a, a person plagiarized because then they could tell themselves, see, it was impossible. I couldn't have done it unless I stole, and I would never steal. Uh, so you think people... <laughs> I mean, that's a, that certainly gives a little insight. Into, so you think people are looking to tear down the accomplishment of what it is to and be a and, comedian. And, and then they'll do, it to, they'll do it to anybody. They did it to Alex Haley, who wrote Roots. They accused him of plagiarism. Luckily, that's died down, but... Only because it's been forty years. So, so, so that worries you. That worries you. The idea that <laughs> I uh, just I I revere this art. You're not calling roots a joke, are you? No, because we're, <laughs> we're talking about jokes. I'm not calling roots. And now you're picking on Gervais. <laughs> you're saying that oh, God. roots is a. Uh, if you keep saying Gervais, we're not going to be able to edit the whole thing out. So render under Caesar what is Caesar's. <laughs> so, so when. When uh, you're, you think that people, I mean, do you think everybody just thinks they could do it or they want to believe they could do it being yeah. a stand-up? Yeah. I, I, people think they can do anything that they see people do that, that looks easy. Like the, the, I watched the true detective finale the other night and I was disappointed, but I was careful in all my disappointment to say I couldn't have done any better. I couldn't have, I couldn't have finished one, written one episode. So Right. Well, you're actually sort of in check about your yourself in a way that goes back to the long yeah. walk that night. But uh, <laughs> you know, like, you're I guess, five minutes away from throwing out the porn. <laughs> <laughs> now it'll have to be your hard drive to have to I'm chuck. Sh I'm schwitzing over here. 
But uh, have some water. There's, didn't I hand you water? No, it's not. It's not from from dehydration. Pour, it's, it's from from um, seriousness. Pour it on your head. <laughs> Just pour the water on your head. That'll that'll cure everything. And if we had one of the cameras so that this was a Grantland video one, that would be great to do. Um, but I want to get back to the, the thing about what makes somebody a great comedian because so far all you gave me is that they don't steal jokes. Oh, yeah, but I yeah, think yeah, that would yeah. be the very sort of minimum but, but, no, requirement but, but would be original what I, what jokes. What I'm trying to say is just the, uh, the obsession. The obsession with doing it right and doing it purely and being original and being yourself and just... I don't I don't know. I, I can't... You know it when you see it. Just like with the, with the basketball, you can see a guy dribble three times and take one shot, and you're like, oh, he's a basketball player. And you can see somebody tell one joke on stage and say, oh, he's a he's a real stand-up. Have you ever seen someone where you thought, I'm not a stand-up, and then they became one? Yeah, Dan Soder. Really? Yeah, I mean, I probably saw him three months into his career, whenever he first got to, got to New York. And I was like, uh, oh boy, what a nice guy. Really? You didn't think Dan was a comic? I didn't think... No. No. Oh, I knew he was right away. Really? Yeah. I knew it because we went out because we were doing open mics together and you would just stop by once in a while, but you were yeah. already a you know, famous comedian. We were doing open mics and we would go, I guess, a month or two famous in. Famous amongst comedians. I guess a month... Uh, well, you were on a couple of television shows. True, true. Uh, I, I And I, I think that Dan and I went... Uh, to some like little bars where they were having like little weird backroom things yeah. and his material wasn't great yet none of our material was great mine never got to be great but uh but i saw by the fact that he was willing to he worked harder than anyone i'd ever i've ever seen almost in my life at becoming great at it okay i saw that he had this incredible love like you do for finding the great joke for being relentless yeah oh that's interesting about see it. i didn't see i didn't all i saw was a guy and and this is true of most young comedians that i think they're in love with the lifestyle first the drinking with their friends and staying up late and meeting girls and i'm like uh and those people don't last very long you see that's not he liked that stuff too but i saw quickly uh, that was the opposite of what he cared about all he wanted was to be a great comedian and may, like, because whenever he would, he would end every night in a comedy club watching comedians and he would, was working two jobs and he would constantly be like, I heard this line. Attell said this the other night. Goldman said that the other night. Uh, I was in the thing and, uh, you know, he would constantly sort of be saying, uh, th learning and piecing it together. And yeah. I saw, I knew, I thought that guy, if that guy doesn't become a successful comedian, then the whole idea that, that if you really kill yourself to do something, you can do yeah. it as a... Uh, Oh, that's awesome. Is a lie. But so, but you, you're saying that was the time where you saw him dribble the ball. Yeah. I thought he was very talented and I thought he would be a really funny radio guy because he was doing some radio stuff. I was like, he'll do voices on, on ra radio, which is different from stand-up comedy. But it's so funny that you brought up his name because I called him right before this. Oh, God. And I said, what do you think makes Gary a great comedian? And uh, because I wanted to say this to you, I have it written down here. And, and he said, you know, comedians love Goleman because he's truly uh, a master craftsman. <laughs> he said, we can see the care that he puts in these jokes and we can catch 
all the little jokes inside the jokes. And he's like, when comedians watch Goldman, it's like watching when uh, a master carpenter has taken an oak, you know, pieces of oak and fit them together and somehow put them together in a way that he's made this incredible block of wood. And other woodworkers and carpenters would look at it and go, man, that guy's good. And he goes, whereas, and then, you know, some guy walks in the shop and goes, yeah, nice table. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we both use as shorthand for dumb the New England accent. Yeah. A lot of from, people go Southern. You're from we there, go, so. yeah, yeah, we right go up New to England. Yeah, I just kid. feel so comfortable doing that, kid. Yeah, dude. 100% pal. But, yo, yeah, guy. But, but here's the thing, dude, is that... Uh, I'll, I'll, I have a rebuttal for that. Well, and he says, so he's like, audiences love Gary and they laugh and they think Gary's great, but comedians understand that he's playing a different game. <laughs> I, I think that's a wonderful compliment, but it, it gives me uh, too much credit. I the the only and I heard here here are a couple of things when I when I think about that two things one I, I I'm I'm the, the best example I ever heard of the explanation is is Steve Martin in a BBC documentary I don't know if you ever saw it but it's it's incredible he said and and I. I'm not putting myself in this group. I'm 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 not brilliant. I'm not a genius. But he said, but he said I'm not a genius. If I have any any special quality or genius, it's it's obsession. And 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 so that's what I would say is that I get a hold of of a of an idea or a premise, and then and this dovetails. I love the expression dovetails. Usually people don't even know what it means unless you're a a watcher of Antiques Roadshow, because dovetails comes from uh, comes from woodworking, right? In the drawers, yeah, it's really a good sign that there are dovetails rather than just nails or glue. Uh, I learned what it meant yesterday. <laughs> no way! I was at lunch with a director. Who I'm was, right about that. Though, yeah, right? I was at lunch with a director who talked about how in the editing room a certain editor only cared about the dovetails. <laughs> just yesterday, yeah, yesterday, twenty you know twenty eight hours ago, and so I had to think about it for a second, then I got it. Yeah. So that's I'm glad I now am in. I'm in inside. Oh, I okay. It. All right. But go ahead. The dovetails. Usually when I, usually you're the person who's explaining words to me. Anyhow, but I I got it from Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. All good. right. So I got it from director Neil Berger. The dovetail. The dovetail is this. We're, t- is we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking. Oh, nice. Yeah. Go ahead. We're talking about walking, and, I mean in New York City especially. I I have two dogs, so I I'm on at least four walks a day with them, anywhere from fifteen to an hour each one and then you know you walk everywhere in this city you walk to work you walk all the time and i feel like that's where my best thinking and ruminating so it's not the people when they i hear craftsmen and i think this guy is writing down every word and going over it but really i'm just ruminating on my on my act while i'm taking walks i i i go crazy when people are walking their dogs and talking on the phone or or not paying attention or, or anything, I, I I think that's those are the best times to to write. But I'm not even writing. I just and then every every show I do, I'm writing on stage. I'll tape it and write it down. But it's it's rare that I have an idea and just write it all down. And but in a way, it, it seems like you're almost you're you're trying to say um, to to call it like you're being a craftsman. It, not that you feel looked down on for that, but that you've, it's like, uh, 
it's less elevated than being obsessed. But I think a yeah. master craftsman is an obsessed person, right? Yeah. But I, I when I think craftsman, I say, well, it took 20 years to to do this, and it and it wasn't. Oh, because for you, you're put, you're saying craft. You're you're I think interpreting craft as 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 meaning without heart. No, because it doesn't. Well, sometimes not in this case. I think it means that that um, I'm really sweating over this and working really, really hard and and being robotic about it and and. Oh, uh, it sounds like uh, it's and I love both bands. But it sounds like to you it's uh, it's Rush, not Led Zeppelin, or something. I would like to uh, I. I would like to look at certain things as inspirations rather than rather than perspiration. But I don't think that's. <laughs> I don't know. I, I got to say, I, I don't know that that's. I don't know that that's true. Because you chasten in a way. Yes, you're obsessed, but your your relentless refusal to let go um, leads you to find solutions and make it better. It's like sanding the edges and not just having it be. Oh, that's good enough. Yeah. But I want to let go. I, I should have put out a new special six months ago. Oh, yeah, but so why haven't you? <laughs> Nobody's interested in making a a special right now. Well, then that, that's a different answer than the one it seemed like you were giving. Well, the, the companies that I could go to, I don't like the deal. But when you but you were saying that you want to, you were saying you don't, you feel like your act isn't quite all. But even though I've seen you, I mean I have seen your act recently and I saw you just destroy a room. Yeah. But for you you're not you're not happy with it yet. No, there are, there are four bits without endings and uh and yeah. But wait, do you feel somehow cheapens it to say that you're applying elbow grease? Yeah. Why? Because I think I think a lot of great comedians are 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 working harder than they let on, and uh, I th I think it's I think it's a dig. I, I yeah. I really because somebody said that to me the other night after I did that that abbreviation joke or story, and. <laughs> They were like, you're such a craftsman. And I talked about it in therapy the next day. I was like, mother craftsman? That's... Uh... See, it's like it's like Larry Bird. Some people would say he was a, a, a craftsman or a hard worker or anything like that. He was he was uh, Van Gogh or Picasso or... Yeah, but the he love... He was inspired. He played such a beautiful game. And it was unorthodox in so many ways. But he also, because he loved it worked harder than everybody else as did magic and as did jordan at the time yeah i mean right didn't they but that's not the uh, it irritates me because that's not the first thing you think uh -huh, of but okay think here of, i'm gonna challenge you think this. of larry bird you I'm think a, of I, i'm gonna challenge this because all right here's why i'm gonna challenge their your sort of like being angry about the craftsman thing because I won't name this comedian. It's not fair to. But we have a comedian that we both know, who we both think is brilliant at, uh, has the potential to be one of the greats. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And you're, whenever I bring this guy up, because 
He'll get on stage without prepared material most of the time. A lot of people fake it, but he really gets on without prepared material. Yeah. And he'll uh, unfurl a couple of absolute gems. Just stone cold, pure talent gems. And I'll talk to you about him and you'll shake your head and want him to apply craft. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, uh, but Larry Bird would be mad at him in basketball for not practicing his free throws, right? Yeah, but why, so this is the thing, why do you want to look to turn a compliment into an insult because you feel it doesn't recognize your original vision? Because you have that. That's implied, right? That you're coming up with stuff that they couldn't have thought of is already implied in that compliment. I just wish that, that the people would... I, I, I mean, because Dan went on to say... It might... It that might how, okay. Dan went on to say, you know, how smart you are and how, how, how you refuse to compromise the integrity of your jokes <laughs> just to get an easy laugh. That's so nice. Oh, now he's nice. No, it's really nice. But And I don't think he did it with any kind of malice. But I just, I guess the thing is, is that I never felt like I felt fit in, or I, I still don't feel like I fit in with those guys that we know, like who we were just talking about, who are just funny. That guy's a comic. His lifestyle, his stories, everything about him is, is a comic. And, and when I hear Craftsman, I hear somebody calling me, you're a technician. You you know what buttons to push and the and the things and, and it's funny because there were a generation of comics who came before you where that was the highest praise they could give. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right, Jerry. I right, mean, right. He could do hours on why that's the goal. Yeah, but you want what? Some combination. I here's what I probably want to please everybody, which is the which is the. Uh, has been proven to be the the way to fail <laughs> right i mean somehow you want to be uh i don't know be able to live like uh a boy in the yeshiva but have the spirit of lenny bruce running <laughs> yes. through you yes yes right but that's probably an impossible yeah Thing because it, it, it's it's in your head that you don't fit in with those people, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you're not going to be getting high behind the thing in between sets, like not Dan, like the right. other guy yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um. But they all respect you. Do you still not feel that those people all think you're a great comedian? I mean, you ha you 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 close at the comedy cellar <laughs> all the time. You do six sets a weekend there, or eight. Yeah, I I just I I think that's like my greatest accomplishment because that's something that seems to be tested every single night like that how you're doing every single night you're I feel like you're getting feedback either by how many sets you get or the audience's reaction and and just going on after great comedians you know Louis will stop by or Rock or any of these guys you go on after those guys and then you hold the audience and it's like. You're yeah, really good. I mean, I'm I'm an, an atheist, but uh, to me, the, the comedy cellar is a holy place. Well, I was I was thinking about if I, if I was to, I'm not an I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. I just I just think he sucks. You 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 came over uh, to my house. I oh, told you I wasn't willing. You to said date I'm, on, his I'm on your team now. Yeah, I guess so. But I still, I I just um, maybe I'm still afraid of him. 
Uh, but 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 I was going to say the, the whole to me the seller because the lineage of comedians who've performed. What did you call at it? The it's cellar. the It's the temple. It's the, well, I said it's a holy place. Yeah, it's the, it's like the mecca to me. But yeah, and sure, if you want to cover all of it, it's the mecca, the basilica, yeah. and the temple on the mount. Do you feel good now? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all of it. Yeah, uh, but but I, I think that um, so you feel like the accomplishment of uh, of being somebody who's works there all the time. Yeah. Is, and and I owe, and I owe that to you encouraging me to go back there. Oh, that that's that's uh that's nice of you to say. Yeah. Yeah, we were having one of these conversations over coffee one day, and yeah. uh, I was I told you your act was strong enough and you should be yeah. there. Yeah. And you were you just weren't ready. You thought. Well, I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel? I mean, do you still feel like you're operating out of a place of fear sometimes? Um. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, fear, fear of fear of failing and, and not doing well, and 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 also I I think early on my fear was that I wasn't representing this this uh, art form that I revered. Like there were people doing great things, and and I I forget who was talking like that, but they were they were saying that's what we hate when we first start is that we respect something and we can't do it well right away. That's what's so hard. Yeah, but then eventually by using both your obsession and your craft, <laughs> right? Yeah, you can get there. Yeah. I mean, don't you think we realize a, a realization I had? I wrote a guy. Uh, I got in touch with a guy, a guy from my high school who was the not just the valedictorian, but like you know, just leagues beyond the rest of us. And then went on and was like number one in his class at Harvard and the thing and grad business. Went out to San Francisco, venture capitalist, just killed it. Yeah. When I was a a kid, I always thought, well, that guy, he's just able to walk in there. And he's just smarter than everybody. He just has it. He's yeah. able to, because he would drink sometimes. Whatever. But what I realized, and I wrote him this note, was like, dude, you outworked all of us. It wasn't just that you were, yeah, you were smart, incredibly smart. Yeah. But I realized now watching my kids in school uh, and just watching the way the other kids all are, and um, I see it's an illusion. Yeah, there might be the occasional, but you read even David Foster Wallace's, the bio on David Foster Wallace, probably, you know, safe to say he was the smartest guy at his college, right? Yeah. I mean, he says, it's very clear in the book, he outworked everybody. Yeah. Which is why I think there's no shame in you feeling like you can work at it. <laughs> But I, I, you know, there were times where I, where I worked harder on the writing aspect of it and got less results. I really think that it was the, the years and the experience and the, it's like it, watching, watching, like Major League Baseball players are playing a different game than we played in Little League. Tennis players yes. are playing a different game. They all are. And I feel like... The, if you watch an open mic and then you watch a regular regular show, it's not the it's not the same game. And what does it take to to get from point A to point B is you know, I do four or five hundred shows a year. Four or five hundred spots every every year and I'm spending That's really uh, an incredible thing to process. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. And you feel like it's the time getting up there and doing it that allows you to communicate, to connect better? Yeah, like you couldn't write down, 
Because I feel like I can tell an 80s comedian from a current comedian by how conversational it is. Sure. Right? It sounds so written in the 80s. Not every guy, but the, the quintessential 80s comedian is like, oh, this guy wrote it down, memorized it, and then performed it the same way every night. And I feel like nowadays it's so conversational. Like, don't you feel like talking to Louie, who would talk the same way on stage as off? It's not the case, but you feel like it's it's so conversational. Like, this is how this really this guy really is. And yeah, but I would I would say not to I'm, I'm not trying to be reductive, but I would say that that's brilliance filtered through. Yes, years of getting up there and doing it and learning the craft of how to do this, learning how and what jokes land and what how they land. Yeah. Right? Right. But but also there's a there's Larry Bird would would make passes, no look passes. But it was from playing thousands of, of pickup games, I'm I'm sure. And the and the the little the little nuances and the and the finesse because yeah. it's a, a joyous a joke. Pro- because you're saying it's a joyous process for you yeah and you don't want it to seem like it's calculated right yeah i didn't i didn't sit down and say i right here i should trail off right but you're <laughs> not out there trying uh but you know you could get if it's a pro wrestling term since you and i enjoy talking uh old wrestling i mean you're not you uh will not go for the cheap pop on stage no, but I feel I use tricks. You think you use your version of it? Yeah, I have certain tells that you know you you can kind of go to. Yeah, does it make you feel bad when you do that? Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, okay. So th- why why like what are your I, who do you care about entertain? Is it is it yourself? Like when you're up there, I always I always wanted to be a comedian that I would that I would want to see. That's. I mean, that's one of the basic tenets of art. Just try to go out there and you think something's missing, you feel like criticizing something, then do something that you would you would appreciate. Write the book you would want to read. And I always wanted to do that. And it took so long till finally I would say, and, and it's only because my jokes are so personal in that a lot of the things happen to me that I talk about that I'd say, yeah, he w- Gary Goldman would be my favorite comedian because he actually talks about the time that I got into an argument with the woman who left the cart at Trader Joe's. Right. I mean, he's talking to me. And you've seen the way people respond to that bit. Yeah. I mean, I see it on Twitter all the time. <laughs> they really yeah. do feel that it hits them in a real yeah. way. Yeah. Now, do you care more about what the comedians think or what the... I mean, do you still want the comedians... Oh, my God, yeah. ...that you care more about The that? respect of my peers, Yeah. A certain kind of respect. Like the other night I did a show in, in Asheville, North Carolina, and two minutes in I was like, you know what, if I did my jokes that I did 10 years ago in Last Comic Standing, I would I would annihilate, I would destroy jokes about my mom, jokes about my dad, little one-liners. Yeah. I was like, I would destroy. And I was just like, no, don't do that. Why? I thought it was pandering. So I did. I did well because I I can sell what I have now. But for that crowd, which was like the equivalent of a, a cruise ship, you know, older. But you would, yeah. But you wouldn't sovereign. do it. I wouldn't do it. No. And did you feel better? Would you have felt worse about? It? Did you sleep easier making the choice you made? No, I didn't sleep well. But I wouldn't have slept well 
the other choice. I would have just been, it would have, yeah, it would have been so thick. You mean the only way you'd sleep is uh, do your material and kill with it? <laughs> yes. Then do the material that makes you the happiest yes. and have it kill. Yeah. yeah. And is your, your goal still uh, now as a comedian, is it like the pursuit of these perfect jokes or the connection with the audience or like or on a higher pl- like what is your because you know some guys you ask what's your goal as a comedian and they start going well i want to have a sitcom in a year <laughs> I want a thing, right but, but your goals are still sort of ephemeral goals well i just i mean if somebody says what do you want to do which is every every manager agent's question i just yeah. say i want to perform in front of bigger and bigger audiences that's that, that's what that's what i want i want to i want to write better jokes and then put them on specials and then make more that's the any comedian will tell you that the best feeling is a new joke working it makes you feel smart it makes you feel clever like you're working like you're like your day your best days aren't behind you it's just incredible i mean that's the best part of of comedy and and screenwriting and being a novelist is that you can get better as you get older whereas michael jordan was at his best at 34 And then you stop. Yeah. Well, he he stayed. I mean, he was at his best at 34. Right. And you're saying so for an athlete, it's uh, the end is sad, whereas you feel like you can keep accelerating. Yeah. I read somewhere that George Carlin said he really hit his stride in 1988. So I immediately looked up his birth date and he was 51 years old. And I, I said, and I said, oh, okay, just stick with it for another eight years. That's great. I saw Carlin in 86 in, in Boston and, uh, he destroyed. Oh yeah. Oh, he was incredible back then. The uh, oh, I have so many things, but we don't have that much time. So, I was thinking about um, the different comedians that we talk about sometimes, and uh, I just want to think, why do you think uh, why does Colin Quinn matter so much? I love him; he matters a lot to me. But I want to know why people you hold him out as sort of important. What does he represent? I mean, when I was talking earlier about the 80s comedians, yeah. when you read Fahrenheit 451, you're like, did this guy write this in 2014 and then go back in time and and bring it with him because he was so far ahead of it? And I've, I feel the same way about Colin Quinn's act. It was it was way ahead of 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 everyone in the in the 80s and. And he just loves comedy. And even if he doesn't get on, if he were to be a retired comedian, he's like, to me, like John Wooden is to former UCLA players. I can, that guy always makes me feel good just being around him. I, I light up when I see him. And he's so generous with laughter, with with compliments, with kindness. He's done things for for people as far as guys who are, who are struggling um, mentally. He'd stay yes. with them and just... Yeah, it feels like he has the ability to offer a certain kind of benediction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Young yeah. comics, older comics, and he's... And and then the fact that he's as, as smart and well-read and as sharp a comedian and just still goes to the club and does 15 minutes, sticks to his time... <laughs> You, you mean because he could go long if you wanted to? If he wanted to go long or if he wanted to not show up or bump somebody or come in whenever he felt like it, he just, there's a humility to him that's just, that's just remarkable. And, and to just, 
even if he never stepped on stage, if all he had was that Twitter account, right? It's the, yeah. It's the, it's only the best thing, Twitter account. Only you and him do I check in with every day. Oh, that's very nice that you put yeah. me in that company. Yeah, he he uh, he's my he's definitely one of my absolute favorite people to follow on there, and and uh, I think he represents a lot of the stuff you think he represents too. To me, he 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 seems um, in a way like I don't know Atel, but he seems like he just wants to be genuinely what he is, and gets up on stage without regard for anything other than talking about what he wants to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. But with great craft too. Yeah. And that he's able to construct really good jokes. Yes. Incredible jokes. So if you want, uh, comedians sometimes talk about um, the people that they would like leave the table, like at the cellar, there's a table where all the comedians <laughs> sit and then people go on stage and then sometimes uh, you'll go, this person was there. We all went down and watched. Mm-hmm. Who's on your current list of, I'm going down to watch? This isn't inclusive. Nobody should feel bad if Gary doesn't n- name them. I just want to know, like, who do you feel like, if they're there, I want to see what they're doing? Um, Louis, of course. And Colin. Even more so. So you watch Colin's sets? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I, I you know, my, I smile, I glow the whole time. I, I almost feel silly because I'm too old to be such a a fan of somebody I'm I'm friends with. But I just he just he makes me so happy. Uh, so who anyone else? Who else? And um, I mean, Rock comes down there. I like to I like to you know what I love to hear is the audience reaction when these guys show up. It's just it's so exciting. It's really exciting that somebody could be that happy. Yes. Over somebody. Who's telling jokes? And and who would excite you to see standing in that little area watching you? <laughs> um, I don't know, but I always I always think that's important. You can tell who the good comedians are by the whether the other comedians watch them. And so you want those guys coming down to watch you? Yeah, I like that. Does it fire you up? Does it change your set? Here's the here's the issue. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a I'm a very weird combination of a person who thinks he's he sucks and then would be angry if the people weren't watching. <laughs> right, you expect them to watch. Yeah. Why aren't yeah. they wa- Why aren't they watching? For years, I couldn't get over that the the host in the middle act when I was on the road weren't watching me, and now they now they watch me. But for years, I was like, they could learn so much. Really? <laughs> right. Well, that's that great so, sort of up and down the, uh, thing. I mean, yeah. you know, for you, it's like being uh, a manic and depressive at the exact same moment, keeping yes. both thoughts. Yes, it's so sad. In your head at the same time. All right, I just have a few more things. And I just also want to say to people listening, Gary's uh, biography, his, his his life story is really fascinating. Um, Mark Maron did a great interview with Gary where he, you know, you went through a lot of it there, which is why I didn't want to yeah. run through it. But you, people should go find that episode of WTF um, because... You know, you talk about going to BC and to play football and, yeah. uh, not, you know, in the end. Hey, did you stay? Uh, well, the one question, did, were you actually officially on the team all four years? No. So you you stopped at a certain yeah. point. Yeah. Um, and uh, But if people want to hear that, and it is great and worth hearing and all this touching stuff about your dad, they should go. I just didn't feel like we needed to go through it again because no. it's findable and it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. out there. Right. Um, do you think... Does part of you think that you have to keep your personal life and your sense of self slightly off balance in order to be a, a comedian? 
No. So I, you're working to... If I, I really... I was saying this the other night, that if I could um, eliminate all the neuroses and fears and insecurities and, and doubts... Like, for two hours the other day, I felt really good. It might have been the sun. It might have been the coffee. And I was like, if I felt like this all the time, oh, my gosh, I could I could probably rule the galaxy. I, I really felt like... like Because to, to write for me, I have to get past the, the voice in my head that says, oh, this is awful. This is derivative. This sucks. This is this is dumb. This is this is too cutesy. This is too this. This is too that. And then, ugh, it's a nightmare up there. It's a nightmare up where? In my head. Huh. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. Uh, if if uh, if there were two clips of you online that you'd want someone to watch to get a sense of who you are, what would those bits be? I mean, maybe my my Trader Joe's joke, which was an abridged version of a you know a twenty five thirty minute joke. Um, it's like a seven minute version of it on the John Oliver show on Comedy Central and then I mean I can't look at it now but probably the grapefruit joke which is on YouTube and, and if you watch it on a special if you watch it on YouTube there's zero chance of Gary spitting <laughs> <laughs> it won't go through I mean it won't uh, go through yeah no I mean it won't go through but right uh, sort of closing up here uh, you and I are both fully obsessed with quiz show and Broadway Danny Rose yes and I, I was trying to think about those two movies and you're in, in particular i mean you know every word to yeah. both of those yeah. uh films yes and uh you know weirdly both of those movies have to do with like uh justice and show business and compromise yeah and wh why do you think they resonate so much for you and there are other movies you watch and everything but those we always come back to those movies when we're together i, th I think broadway dan and rose is the best example of the of the artistic mind and the relationship with with a manager and it's all summed up in one in one line when when um the the lounge singer wants to wants to walk out on the gig luke canova yeah he feels there's too many they're doing too many shows <laughs> tell him i'll walk and and danny his manager extraordinaire says uh we're not in a position yet to walk and i use the word yet and I know as a as a comedian, as a performer or anybody, if he had said if he had not used the word yet, it would have crushed it would have crushed the lounge singer Lucanova and it crushes you yet. We we live in that in that position, yet. We're not in a position to walk away from that from that money yet. Someday and and the day may never come. It's all what do they say? It's all in the becoming. Bob Dylan said that. Yeah, and artists, it's on the becoming, or other people say it's in the in the journey, and it's trite and it's cliche, but it's it's true. And then quiz show is about justice, and I just admire the fact that there are two types of people. There are people who would who would take all the money and all the fame, and and the television appearances, and and cheat. And there are people who don't even want the even if it came. Even if it came without cheating, they wouldn't want to be on television and be famous. They don't need it. I admire those people. Yeah, and you can easily see how it relates to everything we've been talking about. Quick yeah, show. and I, I also, I always wonder if I would be, the guys from the 70s always brag, we were getting paid $6. There was nothing out, there was nothing in it for us. Okay, Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show and, and The Catskills. You could make a beautiful dollar in this.
in that business. And I always wonder, I, I would hope that I would be one of those guys who was doing it for $7, and I don't know. I think you would be. So lastly, uh, how do you... Because even if you say the moment came a year later with Todd Glass, and I, I accept that, but I also know that you drew a line in the sand about how you would how you would think of yourself on stage and how you would deal with hecklers. And so how do you process it now that it can't penetrate the outer wall? I don't know that I... I just remember more... I remember better how I feel after these things. It just... I felt so awful that night for what I had done to that person. Like, it was so mean... And yeah, he was he was very mean to me, but it was just like uh, it sounds like he deserved it. He didn't deserve to be spit on. I mean, that's so yeah. I was so gonna say he deserves it. But, but uh, so but, degrading. But I saw the other night, and some guys tried to say something, and you <laughs> you smiled, and yeah. it was a genuine smile. And then you just kind of made everybody, you know, like what goes through your head now? Is it still like, oh, screw that guy, or is it I can use this? Um. Well, I'm I'm just I'm I'm fascinated by now by the mentality of somebody who who can speak out at a at a comedy show. Like I spend my whole day walking on eggshells and trying not to, not to offend anybody. If I were there are some people at comedy clubs who will walk on the stage to get out of their out of their seat if it if that's an easier route to walk onto the stage. Uh, whereas I would hold it in for the entire show <laughs> to avoid right if that was the only way i could get out of the out of the thing and i just i'm fascinated by the mentality somebody the other night a woman made fun of my nose which which is something that you know grew in at 13 it's a big nose it's a big nose but the thing is is i didn't i didn't have it before that you know the the the, the, the cruelest trick god pulled <laughs> with the jews is that right about the time that you start to go through puberty he throws this big nose on you <laughs> And he's like, uh, all right, now try it. Try it with this. Uh. Do you think you can pick up girls with this? You couldn't pick up girls before. Now it's going to be nearly impossible. So, so to say that that is a you know a twenty-five, thirty-year problem for me is is just hating my nose. And then this woman points it out. I just wanted to say, what what would what would be the thing that would hurt you the most? That would let be kind me, of funny if you yeah, actually did that. Let me let me uh, and and. Maybe it's somebody's skin. Maybe it's their legs. Maybe so what did you do? Ass, maybe it's their intellect. I just talked about all the, all the. I just called her pretty much unoriginal. That that after right. all these years, you think you're the first person who's pointed out, pointed out my nose, my this this thing that God so cruelly put on my nose. It, it's in the middle of my face at 14 years old. The thing that I didn't even discover I had until I was in a three-way mirror at Jordan Marsh. In, in Boston right. and caught this thing and thought David Brenner was looking over my shoulder. It was just... Famous big-nosed comedian from yes. the 70s. <laughs> <for> the... <laughs> so, initiated. Gary, thank you for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, you know, um, I would say this. Yeah, uh, I have Levine and, and you have Hurwitz and, and we each have a best friend. But uh, uh, I don't think I'm loose with the term best, best friends because uh, you're someone who's uh, in my life on a daily basis. 
and if you only could recognize me on sight, yeah. I feel we really could become best friends. Yeah, well, I, 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 I love you like a brother. Yes. Well, yeah. uh, that's uh, good. And uh, you got through this whole thing without spitting on me or the person <laughs> recording it. So I think we've done great. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.